0: Apple trees are, prefer to have a well-drained soil, like a sandy loam, not too I heavy. I mean,
1: apples gain so much in popularity, they've
0: replaced a lot of, you know, the Macintosh. Girl, you need to get some recipes on your podcast.
1: This is The Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast Network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food.
0: So then you have a tree with just a few apples, and of course the leaves are big, the tree is healthy, and it puts all this energy into the roots, and then it blooms like crazy the next year because it's got all this energy.
1: I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. My sister Lee and I share a summer cottage on the Northumberland Strait. The cottage is basic. There are white walls, concrete floors, small, simple bedrooms and bathrooms. And there's a big open space where we gather to eat and who's kidding who to play 45s. And all throughout the cottage are loft spaces so cousins and friends can tuck in when they come to stay. The space is efficient and it fits our two families perfectly. Lee says that when she's designing she's always trying to strike a balance between wood and white or stark and warm as the Danish do so well. The white is minimal and clean and the wood adds a touch of hygge. Hygge is a Scandinavian word that roughly translates as coziness. We are a cozy family. We cuddle, we light candles, we use fairy lights all summer long. Concrete is beneath our feet but wood it is everywhere in the tables, bowls, and ladders. All those ladders. How else are the cousins supposed to reach the lofts? The ladders in our cottage were made by a Nova Scotian whittler. Lee discovered them while picking apples with a bunch of kids, mine included, one fall afternoon a few years ago. She loved the blonde, weathered wood, hand-whittled, stretching high into the apple trees. And she also loved the simple joint between the rung and the rail. But it wasn't until my particularly sturdy son crawled up one of the ladders, and the ladder stood its ground that Lee knew she had to have one, or six. The next thing I knew, we were hanging out in a woodshed with an elderly whittler named Keith, watching in awe as his gnarled arthritic hands cut wood, whittled, and stacked runs in tidy little piles. He used tools that he had made himself. He told us he was the fastest whittler in the world. He can make a ladder in 29 minutes, $10,000 to anyone faster. Keith made a six in total, all different heights for the various lofts we have scattered around. And when they were ready, he leaned them against his house, then proceeded to bounce on every rung. The ladders were fine and elegant, but those rungs made from ash, they were strong. Then he helped us strap them to the roof of my car because I was worrying that they would not make the journey home, but he just laughed and said, see that Chevette over there in the yard? I once strapped 27 ladders to the roof of that little car for delivery in the city. The ladders live throughout our cottage, stretching up to the lofts or to upper bunk beds. They're functional, but they exude hygge. What could be more cozy than an apple tree ladder leaning against the wall of your kitchen. Today on the Food Podcast, I'm celebrating the apple, from the fruit to the branches and its soil below. I'll talk with Josh Olten of Taproot Farms. I get a special request for a recipe. I'll cook a little and I'll find out why applewood burns so well. It's Apple 101 today on the Food Podcast. It's late fall here in Nova Scotia. The days are shorter and the nights are long. It's cold and crisp outside, like a good apple. And it's apple season. If you pass an orchard, which is easy to do in this part of the world, you'll see rows of apple trees, leaves still on for now. But the apples are gone. Busloads of kids on field trips have come and gone. Families have already spent their weekends running between the trees, picking apples, taking pictures. Anything remaining has been harvested, sold, exported, stored for winter. All that's left are the rejects lying in the grass beneath the trees, waiting for animals to find them. Nova Scotia is known for lobster, mussels, oysters, but really, apples are what they do best. I've grown up eating them, straight from the tree, and when not in season, from a big bag tucked away in the cold room. I love a tart, crunchy Macintosh. My husband loves Gravensteins, but they have a short shelf life. My father is crazy about Cox's Orange Pippin, the small apple with a hint of pear notes. My kids love the newer variety called Honeycrisp. When our favorites aren't fresh from the tree anymore, we make apple crisp, apple pies, applesauce, and we make juice. Lots of juice. But you know what? I really didn't know the story of this special fruit so important to this province. So this fall, I decided to change that. I went to apple school. I put the curriculum together myself, so bear with me. I started with Michael Pollan, the American author, journalist, activist, and professor. He writes about places where nature and culture intersect. No wonder he's a favorite of mine. I pulled his book, Botany of Desire, A Plant's View of the World, off my shelf, because chapter one is devoted to apples. Michael Pollan starts out by sharing the story of John Chapman, or Johnny Appleseed, how he carefully brought apple seeds across the Atlantic from the old world and planted them along the banks of the Ohio River, creating nurseries as he traveled west across America, always just ahead of the settlers so they could have apple trees to purchase wherever they decided to make their home. But then Pollen shares an interesting seed of an idea. Just like me, apples are not native to this place. Our ancestors come from somewhere else. And like most immigrants, they're adaptable. The secret to their adaptability lies in the seeds. If you cut an apple horizontally across the equator, you will see five chambers inside, forming a perfectly symmetrical starburst. Each chamber holds a seed or two. They're brown, shiny, and contain just a touch of cyanide, enough to keep animals from biting through them and ruining their chances of reproduction. But there's more. Michael Pollan writes... Every seed contains a genetic instruction for a completely different new and different apple tree on that, if planted, would bear only the most glancing resemblance to its parents. If not for grafting, the ancient technique of cloning trees, every apple in the world would be its own distinct variety, and it would be impossible to keep a good one going beyond the lifespan of that particular tree. In the case of the apple, the fruit nearly always falls far from the tree. So if you want to grow a similar tree, you must graft. Grafting is an ancient Chinese practice where a branch is taken from a tree and is notched onto the trunk of another tree. If the branch takes, the new wood produced will have the same characteristics of its parent, the trunk. I'm thinking about all this stuff as I stare at a lovely little apple tree on Taproot Farms, an almost organic farm in Annapolis Valley here in Nova
0: Scotia. We have uh, about 40. uh, No, we gained some more orchards this year. We're probably picking about 50 um, acres of apple trees this year. Our main crop is uh, spies, and then it's gala, and then honeycrisp. We have Macintosh, we have uh, Johnny Gold, which is a new one, uh, Paula Reds. And then we have a few odd trees like Burgundy's and Spartan's and King's and Cox's Orange.
1: That's Josh Olton, who runs the farm with his wife, Patricia Bishop. They grow vegetables and fruit, raise free-range hens for eggs, and pasteurize animals for meat on their family farm. They kick-started CSA Boxes here in Nova Scotia, Josh is modest about it. He says they were just early adapters. And they also have an apple orchard. There's a swing hanging from the branch. Josh says his three kids have all played on that swing. It's late fall now and the apples have all been picked from the tree. A few are scattered on the grass below. Before I'd gone to apple school, I would have thought this tree was as old as the farmhouse. I would have imagined generations of children swinging from the tree. But that's just the romantic in me talking. Josh sets me straight. He introduces me to the tree that is in fact younger than I and was born in a research station.
0: This is a Nova Macintosh. And this tree was actually bred at the Kenful Research Station, this variety, Nova. They use that name Nova because it's scab resistant. So there's a Nova Mac, there's a Nova Spy, I think there's a Nova Jonagold maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but I know the Nova Mac and Nova Spy for sure are bred here in the valley to resist uh, the apple scab.
1: Before we go any further, what's an apple scab?
0: Apple scab is a disease that gets on the apple from exposure to moisture. So every time that there is a rain event or a wetting period from bloom until the day you pick it. If there's a wedding period, and there's spores in the air that will land on the apple and then will grow into a black spot on the apple.
1: All right, that makes sense. We have to eat the apples, enjoy them, and as consumers, we probably won't buy them if they're covered in black spots, organic or not. And then I surprise myself and start asking some seriously technical questions. I want to know what kind of soil is required for an apple tree to grow. I have a little spot in my backyard for a tree and I don't want to make a rookie move by planting an apple tree in a place where it would be very sad. Not all immigrants thrive where they land.
0: Apple trees prefer to have a well-drained soil, like a sandy loam, not too heavy like a clay, and not too light like a sand. So that in-between spot, which is well-drained, sandy loam, like it's the perfect soil for most plants. It will grow in sand. It will grow in clay. You just have to definitely uh, help it a little more.
1: Okay, it's time for Soil 101. Loam is soil composed mostly of sand, silt, and a smaller amount of clay. Its composition is a 40%, 40%, 20% concentration of sand, silt, and clay respectively. These proportions can vary. You can have sandy loam, silty loam, clay loam, sandy clay loam, silty clay loam, or just loam. Who knows what variety of loam is happening in my backyard. So how do you help a tree when the loam composition is off?
0: If it's in heavy soils, you need to help drain some of the water away from the roots or else the roots will get anaerobic, which means lack of oxygen because the presence of moisture, the moisture pushes away the oxygen. So you maybe put it up on a little bit of a hill or you put some drainage in the soil to help move the water away. Then if you're in a sandy soil, you would do things to hold the water there, like maybe you might put it a little bit lower to kind of hold some water. You would mulch it with hay or or straw to try to hold that moisture in place.
1: This all sounds very high maintenance but when conditions are perfect a tree will thrive when i was in elementary school one spring day our class went for a walk around the neighborhood our teacher mrs gary explained that this urban area was once farmland cows graze where we were standing pigs and chickens too but on that day cars were whizzing by power lines blocked the view to the sky above My young brain couldn't picture the farm, until Mrs. Gary pointed out a beautiful apple tree with fat white blossoms lining the branches, peeking out behind a brick house. That tree, she said, was the last evidence of the old farm. Suddenly my mind went back in time. I could see it. The tree, the fields, the animals, the peacefulness. There must be the best sandy loam under that tree the best around. I'm
0: pretty sure I've seen like a 200-year-old apple tree, big old standard tree that put your arms barely around it. Most apple trees these days that are planted in those really close quarters, they call them high-density orchards, they have a life of about 25 years, and then they start falling over or they die. A tree like we're looking at right here is called a semi-standard, and this tree probably right now, if I was to make a guess, is probably... 15 to 20 years old now, and it certainly has another 30 years left in it.
1: And the tree has room to move. A little ways away are a series of greenhouses filled with tiny lettuces. I can see an old tractor and a hen house. A goat is walking by. I can't see this tree falling over anytime soon. Imagine how it looks in the spring when this Nova McIntosh is in bloom. I gush about it, but again... Josh explains:
0: This tree is called biannual. So in the apple industry, you have to manage the bloom. So if you let a tree have too much bloom on it, it puts a whole bunch of energy into those blooms. The tree will be loaded. But the unfortunate part about that is it sucks all the energy out of the tree. And so the next year, it doesn't have enough reserved energy to put a proper bloom on. So then you have a tree with just a few apples. And of course, the leaves are big, the tree is healthy, and it puts all this energy into the roots and then it blooms like crazy the next year because it's got all this energy and it's a continuous cycle so this tree has gone biannual i haven't done anything to correct that So this year it was loaded, as you can see on the ground, there's all kinds of yummy drops on the ground for whatever animals will find it. And we picked a lot of apples off of it. And next year it'll be very sparse. What they do in commercialized orchard is that every year the tree puts on a huge bloom, and every year you thin the blooms. So either you actually knock the blooms off, or you wait till the blooms form a little apple. And then you either take them off through basically spraying stuff on a tree that puts it under stress, thinks it's being attacked by something. The instinct of the tree is to drop a whole bunch of its apples. And so there's that uh, method. Or you wait till they get a little bit bigger again, and then you pick them off by hand. And so you just reduce the load on the tree, so the next year it'll bloom again. Good for you. A lot of work. (laughs) Yes, a lot of work.
1: I have a big bowl of apples in my kitchen right now. Honeycrisp's, Gala, Macintosh, a few Russets. There's also a very soft pear in there. I have to do something, especially considering the voice memo I have sitting in my inbox from Sister J. Sister J is one of the sisters from the Sister Speak podcast network. On the podcast, they comment about reality TV. They've been committed to the Game of Thrones since the very beginning. They also review dramatic shows and occasionally they'll do a movie review. Needless to say, they loved it on episode 11 of the Food Podcast when I told the story about Cousin Sandy defrosting his frozen donut on his big old school television. I met the sisters at the Podcast Movement, a podcast conference in Chicago last summer. It was my first time at an event like this, but the sisters they've been podcasting since 2007. They took me under their wing and literally walked me through the conference. At one point, I remember telling Sister Jay all about the food podcast. I explained it was really all about personal storytelling shared through the lens of food. She glazed over. Not long after, I got this voice memo. Hey,
0: Lindsay, girl. This is the sassy one, Sister Jay. Girl, you need to get some recipes on your podcast and hopefully some easy ones for those of us that don't cook. So
1: for Sister Jay, I thought I'd include a recipe for Applesauce. What could be easier or more Huga? Take five apples, cored and chopped, place in a pot with a little water, cinnamon stick, maybe some cloves, and a swirl of maple syrup or a spoonful of brown sugar, or no sweetness at all if your apples are already sweet. Bring the apples to a boil and then let them simmer away until everything becomes a soft, mushy mess of goodness. If the average Game of Thrones episode is about 45 minutes, I'd say she'd have a lovely batch of applesauce by the time the credits roll. But what if Sister J really wants to binge and watch three episodes? Then she could make something even better, apple butter. Apple butter sounds like some kind of fatty indulgence, but really, it's just applesauce taken down, 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 until all you're left with is a thick caramel-colored paste. I spread it on toast, swirl it into oatmeal, dollop it on yogurt, it is so good. To make apple butter, follow the basic applesauce flow. It's really more of a flow than a recipe. But the last time I made it, I spooned a teaspoon of rooibos chai tea leaves into a loose leaf tea ball and tossed it into the early stages of the sauce. I have to say, it was a stroke of genius. The recipe doesn't make a lot. I have two small glass mason jars of apple butter to show for my whole afternoon, but a little goes a long way. And those chai flavors, so good. But I have to admit, looking at these little jars that cook down all afternoon as I listen to podcast episode after podcast episode, apple butter is really more of an apple demi a demi-glace is a reduced sauce where equal parts meat stock and one part of the five mother sauces in French cuisine, espagnol, are simmered together until they're reduced by half. And all that's left is half the sauce. A demi-glace. An icing, you could say. Which begs the question, if a recipe has just a few ingredients, but it takes four episodes of Game of Thrones to complete... Is it still considered easy? <laughs> Probably not. Sorry, Sister Jay. Okay, so far in this apple school, I've covered a brief history, a little science, culinary arts. So now it's time for the last step, death. But in an orchard, death isn't the end. Applewood is hard, so it burns hot and for a long time. It's perfect for a wood stove or a wood-fired oven and it's in demand.
0: I don't know of anyone that's actually planted an orchard for the purpose of wood, but it is a fairly large byproduct uh, because with the apple industry, there's a lot of change of varietal. uh, You know, like all of a sudden, Honeycris are popular and macintosh aren't. So you cut down your macintosh and plant your Honeycris. So there's always orchard renewal. And so with that comes apple tree wood. I don't know if it's because we prune it so much and we kind of keep it dwarfed, that the wood, gets so dense, but it's a very hard wood and it burns quite hot.
1: Who likes apple wood? Who's looking for that?
0: Uh, I mean, some homeowners and some older people who know their wood like apple tree wood because it does burn long and it does burn hot. And of course, in the food industry, there's the thought of that it actually flavors to food. So you can get like apple smoked bacon, which my, my cousin makes in, in Windsor. He has an orchard and he has a butcher, so it works out quite well. We have shipwood to um, Morris East that use it in their pizza ovens. And I think that's all the, the je ne sais quoi of burning, uh, cooking with apple tree wood.
1: I live up the street from Morris East. So I asked Jenny Dobbs, the owner, how that relationship started.
0: Well, we bought the oven from Italy, and in Italy they they use hardwood.
1: So I started looking at the sources of hardwood in Nova Scotia, and applewood was one of the the best options out there for, for the wood. The trees that they're burning at Morris East, as Josh told us, are either at the end of their life, or they're being swapped out for other varietals. So... Honeycrisp apples gaining so much in popularity. They've replaced a lot of you know, the Macintosh with the Honeycrisp. So you're burning probably a lot of yeah. Macintosh apple wood. Yeah. So what's Jenny's favorite apple? Mine's the Macintosh. Because I like them tart, and I love the Macintosh.
0: I don't necessarily have a favorite, but I guess if I was to only eat one apple forever, at this point in the game, what's the winner going to be? I would say that I would pick a Honeycrisp.
1: We're gearing up for a long winter ahead. It's time to capture a little hygge in the home. The Danish might light a fire in a wood stove. That's the fastest way to achieve coziness. So find yourself some applewood, light the fire, make some applesauce or apple butter if you have the time and curl up for the winter and hang in there because in the spring there will be blossoms. Thanks to Josh Olton of Taproot Farms. Find out more about his farm at taprootfarms.ca. And thanks to Sister Jay. Find out more and listen to the Sister Speak podcast at sisterspeakproductions.com. And that is S-I-S-T-A-H, speakproductions.com. And for all your thin crust, applewood-fired oven pizza needs, please visit Jenny at morrisseast.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Food Podcast. And you can sign up for my newsletter where I'll keep you up to date on podcast news, share some backstories on the episodes. Sometimes I'll include a few recipes in there too. You can sign up at lindseycameronwilson.ca. And for more on apples and their role as a tool in television, check out episode three of the Food Podcast. I'm talking to you, Sister J. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.